Let me tell you exactly what we are for as Christian people. We are for purity and holiness and integrity and character and honesty and worship and prayer and serving Him who has loved us and called us and enables us to live the Christian life day by day by day. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Most of you will be aware that over these last few weeks, we have been spending our Sunday mornings in the New Testament book of Romans, and today we come to Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the measure of faith God has given you, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of His holy Word. story is told that back in the middle of the 19th century, the president one Sunday morning slipped out of the White House with one of his aides and made his way to New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. He was running a little behind, and he came in during the singing of the first hymn. And he slipped in at the back and sat there, enjoyed the entire service, and during the singing of the last hymn, he and his aide slipped away again and made their way back to the White House. On the way back, his aide said to him, well, Mr. President, did you enjoy the service? He said, yes, I did. And his aide then said, and what did you think of the sermon? And he paused for a moment and said, well, the pastor's delivery was good. He was clear, at times concise. He was logical, at one point followed the other. And his aide then said, but did you like it? And he said, no, I was a little disappointed because he did not ask us to achieve something great. He did not ask us to achieve something great. There are passages all over the Scripture which challenge us 
and challenge us deeply to achieve something great. And Romans chapter 12 does exactly that. It challenges us and challenges us deeply to achieve greatness in the Christian life. Let me pause for a second before I go any further. Romans is one of the great books of the New Testament. It is the premier book for Christian truth and doctrine, and anyone who is seeking to grow in their faith will inevitably end up anchoring their heart and soul and mind in the pages of the book of Romans. If you're ever to grow in your faith, you must become familiar with the truth found in Romans. Romans has been described in a variety of ways over the years. Some New Testament scholars have suggested that Romans is Paul's magnum opus, his greatest single work. And for what it's worth, I tend to agree with them. They really, it really is a spectacular book. If you go to the contents page of your Bible, you will notice it heads up the Pauline epistles. That's not by chance or accident. Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who was an English poet, described Romans in this way. He said, it is the most profound writing in existence. That's quite a claim, the most profound writing in existence, coming from a poet who takes words and fashions and shapes thoughts, who counts every word and every meaning. Martin Luther called it the true masterpiece of the New Testament. And Vernon McGee, an American author who many of you will know, pastor, writer, preacher, said the epistle of the Romans is the greatest document available on our salvation. That's quite something, isn't it? Chapters 1 to 11, and we have spent significant months last year, January, February, March, and this January, February, March, working our way through the first 11 chapters. And chapters 1 to 11 take us to a place so deep, at times our minds have exploded when we have sought when we have sought to plumb the depths of the love and grace and matchless, incomparable love and mercy of God. But in Romans 12, a change takes place in the apostles' writing. The focus shifts. If chapters 1 to 11 were focused on a relationship with God and the salvation that He brings to us in all of its wonder and grace, the richness, the outrageous love of God dominated the first 11 chapters, and it highlighted our vertical relationship with Him. Romans 12, the focus shifts to our horizontal relationship with others. 1 to 11, was vertical relationship. 11 through 16 is our relationship with others. 1 to 11 was on our salvation. 12 through 16 is about our service. And that's the change. Romans 12 is the hinge by which the rest of the book opens up. And they're spectacular chapters. And it begins with, and many of you know this, it begins with what I think is one of my favorite words in the entire Bible. And it begins, therefore. 
And if you worship at first prayers often enough, you will be fed up hearing me say that whenever we come across the word, therefore, we stop and pause to look and see what it is, therefore. It's a word that captures your attention. It tells you that what you're about to read, there's a context to it, that God never works in a vacuum, that something has preceded what we're about to read, and it's about to take us into a whole new area. Twenty occasions the Apostle Paul uses the word therefore in the book of Romans. In fact, hold on to chapter 12 and flick back just for a second to chapter 8, which is the chapter we have spent more time in than any other chapter. In Romans chapter 8, notice how it begins. It begins, therefore. And Paul writes, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is how chapter 8 begins, and it finishes with, there is no condemnation. When he writes, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus no condemnation, no separation. Let's flick back to 12. I've said that Romans 12 is no longer about the vertical relationship only. Now it's looking at the horizontal. And it begins, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Look at it again. I urge you, I plead with you, I appeal to you. And it begins, therefore, because Romans 11 has come to an end. Flick back and look at the last words of Romans 11. What do you see there? You see what's called a doxology. At the end of our service, each Sunday morning, we have a doxology. It's the last thing you hear before you leave. A doxology is about praise and adoration and worship and thanksgiving to God. So, what on earth is it doing in the middle of the book of Romans? Well, it's this reason. Paul has brought to an end his focus on our relationship with God and the salvation that He brings to us, and he understands this, that he is lost and wonder, worship and praise, and he makes theology and doxology, and it closes this section of Romans, and it does so wonderfully. And that's why his heart and mind and soul are caught heavenwards. And if he has been focusing on God now he focuses outward in service. And of course, as you know, theology will always move you to service, and that's what's going on. So he says, therefore, in other words, in light of all that God has done for you, in light of His persistence with you, and His goodness, and His forgiveness, and His cleansing, and His enabling, and His call on your life. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. Do you see that? 
offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, let me try and unpack that a little for you this morning. Paul is quite specific in his language. Offer your bodies. Now, what does that mean? Let me break it down. What about our eyes? The things we look at each day. Some of us, of course, in the course of each day are busy examining emails, others invoices, some contracts, others tax returns, some are teachers and examining homework and projects in a classroom, some lawyers. But when we go home in the evening and we settle down after a full day and we oh, put ourselves in our favorite chair and we relax a little with family and we pick up the remote and dads, I suspect, you know what I mean when you are the remote king in your house. You're the first one who gets access to the remote. And some of you are, of course, already being nudged in the ribs. I can see that happening. And you determine what's the rest of the family watch. So you're busy flipping through the channels. And let me encourage you to think in these terms. When you're channel hopping and you don't see anything you particularly like and you think, well, I'll flick over to Netflix or Hulu or something else, and you're selecting what you want to see, and something comes on or you see something that you think, well, yeah, mildly interesting, and you're watching it and the story's developing and the characters are becoming interesting, and then it turns a little off color. What do you do? Do you say, I'm a big boy, I'm a big girl, I can handle this. It's okay. You just keep watching. Maybe the rest of the family have gone to bed and you're sitting flicking and something catches you. What do you do? Do you continue watching? I'm mature, I can handle this. Those images go into your mind and stay there. You're in the bookstore, you're passing the magazine racks and there's salacious images on the front of those magazines. Do you look back a second time, a third time? Do you turn and walk away? What images are we allowing to come into our mind and therefore into our heart and to stay with us? What are the portraits that we're watching and looking at? And the Apostle Paul says, I urge you, I plead with you, I appeal to you, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Begins with the eyes. When our conversation moves from conversation to gossip and slander and lies and exaggeration, and truth counts for nothing. And you find yourself in a group where you're the only individual who has the information. And you're in a power, a position of power and influence. Are you consecrating the tongue and the vocal cords? Are you giving it over to Him, refusing to participate? Are you seeking to live a life that is holy and pleasing? And some of you may be saying, Richard, I'm with you. I understand what you're saying. You've crossed over from preaching to meddling, and you're really doing that. But you're telling us what you're against. It's typical of pastors. Tell us what you're for. 
Let me tell you exactly what we are for as Christian people. We are for purity and holiness and integrity and character and honesty and worship and prayer and serving Him who has loved us and called us and enables us to live the Christian life day by day by day. And you may well be saying, Richard, if I behaved like that, people would think me odd and weird. They would because you would be. Being weird and odd in terms of Christian things is a good thing. It's tough when you're 14 and 15 and 16 for others to think you're odd and weird. Some of us get to an age when people think we're odd and weird, and it encourages us and excites us. I remember when I first started dating Ruth. Next month, we will be 34 years married. I was nine, Ruth was seven when we got married. <laughs> and I heard her speak. And I watched her life, and I'll never forget the first time I heard her pray. She was speaking to someone. It was real, credible, authentic. Here was a life that was seeking holiness and purity. Here was a life that was surrendered to the things of God, a radical separation from the culture around her, and she had determined from her early teenage years she would live for Christ. And that makes her what? Passionate about holiness, passionate about living a consecrated life, please let me tell you this, there is nothing more attractive than the Christian who's living for Christ. And there's almost nothing more discouraging for the Christian who isn't and should know better. That's what Paul is saying here, radical consecration. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And if it helps you this morning mentally to begin to think back over this past week, some of the images in your mind, some of the things you have said, the things you have listened to and participated in, if it helps you this morning mentally to come and bring them and put them right here on the communion table and then leave them there, you're done with that trash. He's calling you to greatness, and we're messing around with this stuff. Take my life. Let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Frances Ridley Habergall wrote that in her mid-thirties when she had come to a personal relationship with Christ. She read Romans 12 and wrote that hymn, and she broke it down in her own mind to say, I'm done with all of that. Take my life. Let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee, holy and pleasing, a spiritual act of worship. When God begins to work in our lives at that level, He is calling us to greatness. 
Folks, sometimes we get caught up, especially in church circles, about the projects we're involved in and the programs we are active in. And that's a good thing. That's a helpful and healthy thing. But please understand this. Programs and projects and events are almost never transformed by God. Almost never. Because His first calling is to transform people. Ordinary, everyday individuals who have said, from this point on, I will follow Him. I'm done with that. I will follow Him. That's where the transformation comes in. Look at verse 2. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One of the things I love about First Presbyterian from my first Sunday almost eight years ago till today is that on a Sunday morning when whoever is conducting the service comes to the study of God's Word, we begin in the same way each Sunday. Turn in your Bibles too. There's a flurry of pages all over the congregation because you take God's Word seriously you understand the impact it has on our lives. You read it and drink it in and meditate on it and reflect on it and then seek to apply it to our lives. You have an appetite and a desire for the things of God. That's why he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because Paul knows this, that the actions of our hands and feet and lips and ears and mouth and tongue and vocal cords begin in the mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul speaks in these terms, capture every thought for Christ. Wow, that's a challenge. Capture every thought for Christ. Aim for something great listen to His call, understand His enabling, achieve that which is great. Before we wind things down this morning, let me jump over a page or two to verse 4. And Paul, having challenged the folks in Rome as individuals to live a consecrated, holy life, no longer conforming to the pattern of the world around us, but be transformed. In verse 4, he takes us another step. And he says, just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So, in Christ, we are many, we who are many, form one body. E pluribus unum. Out of the many, one. Do you think that's where it came from? highly likely. And so, the many form one. And let me wrap things up with a challenge this morning. Some of you will know this from earlier in our service. We were announcing that at the end of April, we are having our Grains of Grace event. Four years ago, we tried it for the first time. We worked with a mission agency called Feed My Starving Children, and four years ago, we packaged something around 237,000 or 240,000 meals for families in the developing world. And it was an outstanding event. 
takes place Friday night and all day Saturday. And on that occasion, we had a thousand volunteers come together, four-year-olds to 94-year-olds, where as an intergenerational church, one weekend, we made a profound difference in the lives of tens of thousands of people. We tried it again two years ago. And of course, it will be forever ingrained in your memory if you were there. You turn up, they make sure your hands are clean, and then they give you one of these ridiculous-looking hairnets to wear. And you have to wear it while you're dealing with all the food. Now, quite honestly, some of you are strangely attractive in your hairnets. <laughs> I didn't particularly feel that, but some of you were. Why? You don't need to laugh that loud because you're envisaging them with hairnets on. Thank you. We start on the Friday evening, and Sunday school classes come as a group. Ladies' Bible circles come as a group. Men's retirement Bible studies come as a group. Or junior high or senior high or scouts who participated in their services earlier this morning come as a group. And it is absolutely remarkable what we do on that Friday evening and Saturday. And this year we're aiming for 270,000 meals. That's the largest we've ever attempted. We need 1,360 volunteers. We need to raise $60,000. That's a lot of money. But as a church our size, what we are saying that weekend is this, that having been loved by Him, we in turn love those in need, and we want to make a difference. Folks, please hear this, that what we do that weekend says to our 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds that as a church, we care. And in 10 and 15 years, when they marry and settle into a community, they will be saying to themselves, I want a church like first prayers. I want a church for whom their walk equals their talk. I want a church who will serve. I want a church who cares. I want a church who will impact the lives of others because the gospel has impacted them. And that's what Paul is saying. Out of the many, one, we are called to serve. Having been saved, we are called to serve. That's practical Christianity at its cutting edge. You ready for a challenge? Ready to achieve that which is great? Ready to serve? Ready to say, take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to Thee, Take my moments and my days and let them flow in ceaseless praise because this is your spiritual act of worship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible passage in Romans. Father, it feels to us like every Sunday we come across another challenging, incredible passage in Your Word. And for this we say, thank You, Lord God. Father, help us this week to seriously consider if our lives have that radical separation from the culture around us, and are we holy in following You? 
Father, enable us by your grace, please, O oh God, to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a healing prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you are representing who needs prayer for physical healing, emotional healing, or forgiveness. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus, the healer and redeemer, in a deep and meaningful way.